Politics with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana and today's episode will focus on soft robotics with Donald Holland from Harvard University. Soft robotics is a relatively young branch of robotics and essentially is the discipline that uses soft and deformable structures in robotic systems. To teach soft robotics, researchers at Harvard University and Trinity College Dublin, who develop instructional kits for hands-on design courses, came up with the Soft Robotics Toolkit. The overall goal of this kit is for it to be a useful shared resource that can help advance the field of soft robotics. Donald Holland, lecturer in engineering design at the Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences, along with several of his colleagues, has been involved in developing the kit. He spoke to our interviewer Ron about the kit's development, its successes so far, and the team's plans for the future. Uh, If I can first uh, get you to introduce yourself to the listeners. My name is Donald Holland and I'm a visiting lecturer at Harvard School of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer and I'm one of the developers of the Soft Robotics Toolkit. Can you explain what is soft robotics? So when we say soft robotics, we mean robotic systems that are composed partially or entirely from soft, low-modulus materials. And so, in plain language, this means materials that are very stretchy or those that are flexible or bendy. So, of course, this is still quite a broad definition. And in our work, we mostly focus on actuators and sensors that are composed from elastomers, which are materials like silicon, or from fabrics. For us, that's what soft robotics means. Fantastic. If you can explain what the Soft Robotics Toolkit is. So the Soft Robotics Toolkit is an online connection of resources that are related to soft robotics research and development. Um, and I should clarify that we intend it as an intellectual toolkit rather than like a physical collection of parts or tools. The toolkit is a website that describes the design, fabrication, modeling and testing of soft robotic components. We currently have documentation for three categories of component on the website. So that covers actuators, sensors, and control hardware. And for each component, the documentation discusses the design of the component, for example, by giving an overview of how it works, discussing the effect of different parameters on its performance. And where appropriate, we provide tutorials on modeling the component in CAD software. It then talks about fabrications, so kind of step-by-step tutorials of how would you build this yourself. Um, so that includes, as well, you know, bills of materials and where you can order the materials required. And then, depending on the component, we talk some about the kind of research that's been done on it. So how do we model this mathematically or numerically? Or how do we carry out testing to, you know, understand its performance? So we intend, basically, each set to be fairly self-contained and to give an overview of, you know, how it's designed, how it's built, how it's used. We don't really talk about, you know, how we then combine them into full systems. We leave that open-ended to the user. We want to see where people will go 
code it themselves. But we do provide some case studies of here's what other people have done using this component. So basically the toolkit has helped students kickstart in the field of soft robotics, eliminating the need to join all the dots together. Exactly. We want to help people, you know, avoid reinventing the wheel and build upon each other's work so that we can kind of move soft robotics forward at a faster pace, basically. As you pointed out, it's been developed as an academic tool. Has the uptake meant that now there are a whole bunch of other types of users that are very interested in developing their interest in soft robotics? Yeah, that's absolutely the case. I mean, originally our goal for the toolkit was for it to be an educational resource for for use in our classrooms. So um, we teach some design courses and we want to develop resources that could be useful for our students. So first we carried out research to understand what our students' learning needs were. Then we developed an initial version of the documentation uh, and tested it with a range of undergraduate students just to ensure that it was clear enough that they could understand it. We then used the results from these tests to improve the documentation and then we used it in our own design courses for two years. So then we used the feedback from these tests and from you know our own students to, to further improve the website and then just in September 2014 we launched it to the public. So while our initial goal was to develop a classroom resource we, we also realized along the way that the website could serve a kind of broader educational purpose. Um, for example soft robotics is, is a very multidisciplinary field. We have you know chemists, mechanical engineers, biologists, electronic and computer engineers all coming together bringing their own expertise together to develop new systems. So one of the things we see the, the toolkit doing is it's, it's a way for these different disciplines to combine their knowledge and educate each other so that the field can you know, move along uh, at a faster pace. We've also had a lot of interest from kind of high school and middle school teachers and students who would like to use it in their classrooms. And then you know, there's, of course, a, a really big and, and active hobbyist community around robotics and um, makers in general. We've had a lot of interest from, from people in those communities as well, which is great. So since launching, you know, it's become a lot broader than we originally intended it, and we're very excited to see where it goes next, basically. As you pointed out, it's uh, is a list of components, etc. Has anyone suggested turning into a kit that someone can actually purchase, or is it just left to the individuals to source the material? Yeah, so at the minute it's very much left to the individual, but we have had a lot of people suggest that or, or you know, ask, can they buy it? It's not something that we've done yet, but we'd definitely be open to doing that in the future to you know bring the components together to make it easier for users i think one of the big challenges especially when you're doing this stuff internationally is that what might be easy to obtain in one country is almost impossible in another so that that's something that we're really running up against when we're working with people around the world on this stuff yeah that would have been my question trying to come up with some of the uh, components in this part of the world yeah and i i had that experience myself when i lived in europe and you know there's a lot of really good kind of open source open design design projects out there but a lot of the time they were based in the US and trying to find the same components in Europe was was very difficult so I kind of I understand the frustration that people have when they're trying to do that so as an interim step one thing that we're very keen to do is work with people in you know other countries to find local suppliers that 
could do equivalent parts. So, for example, we're we're working with some educators in Brazil at the minute, and they're sourcing parts in in their own country that then we will put up on the website for people you know in Brazil. And so we'd be very open for if anyone in any part of the world is interested in in contributing, you know, lists of local suppliers, and um, we'd love to host that on the website to make it easier for people to be involved. Okay, what were the biggest challenges in creating the kit? So I think one of the big difficulties with sharing this type of information where you're trying to take experts' knowledge and share it with other people is the problem of tacit knowledge. So people who are very familiar with a particular field or technology or fabrication method, they typically have a lot of knowledge that's very difficult to make explicit. So it covers things that they often don't know that they know themselves, if, if that makes sense. And so it can be difficult for experts to document their knowledge in a way that's sufficiently clear for non-experts to understand. To put that in another way, an expert has forgotten what it's like to not be an expert, so it's difficult for them to educate other people sometimes. So our way of getting around this has been to observe interactions between students and experts and to record the knowledge that is shared. The great thing about these interactions is that the experts have to try to explain their knowledge to a beginner and the beginner is able to ask questions about anything they don't understand. So that's really useful for our purposes. And so that's kind of how we overcame that difficulty when we were creating the toolkit. I think that the next big difficulty that we have is for this to really be useful and sustainable, we need to encourage experts from all around the world to share their knowledge. So we're trying to figure out ways that we we want this to be much bigger than ourselves. We see this as a community resource, not, you know, it's not our website, but trying to figure out a way to incentivize people to be involved, to contribute their knowledge and to, to stay involved, I guess, is, is the next big challenge we're trying to figure out. Are there example projects that have been created that students can actually take a look at and get inspired from? Yes. Yeah, so for us, the toolkit focuses very much on the basic components, um, which can then be combined to create you know, new devices and systems. And our aim by focusing on the fundamental building blocks is that we hope that the toolkit is open-ended and what people can do with it. They can take it places that we never would have thought of, is what we hope. And so to encourage this, we're currently holding a soft robotics design competition where we're asking website users, including like students and hobbyists, to create something using materials on the website and then to document their designs. And then in July, we'll kind of announce the best designs share them on the website and the designers will receive cash prizes but we see this as a way of the documented designs will act as exactly what you were speaking about so they will be examples of what people can do with the toolkit that students can learn from what is the future of the soft robotics toolkit has someone set a, a timeline is it just going to run almost by itself or? ideally we would like it to be to get to a stage where it could run by itself i think you know right now we're still very much figuring out out what is the future of the toolkit so it, you know it's only really been a, a few months since we launched to the public and we're still basically collecting feedback from people to figure out what would be most useful for the soft robotics community what would be most useful for the maker community and of course what would be most useful for students and we'll use that to try and you know figure out where we go next but i do think a big part of it is as i mentioned trying to make it more and more of a community resource and have it be people that are outside the original development team taking over responsibility for parts of the website and making it their own. I was going to ask you, what is the future of soft robotics? Where will it go? And specifically, I noticed that the whole kit is dependent on quite a large environment. Has anyone looked at miniaturising it and 
uh, untethering it from the rig? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's a great question. In general, in terms of the future of soft robotics, I think there's a lot of excitement about the field, so I'm really interested to see what the near future is going to hold. Our main interest is in medical applications, and most of the research we do is related to medical applications of soft robotics. And there are already some very nice soft robotic medical devices on the market, so I think that's a very interesting area that's definitely going to continue over the next few years. Another area that's receiving a lot of attention is industrial applications, so in particular end effectors for grasping and I think you know that will definitely continue to grow in both of those situations I think it's okay to be tethered so if you're on for example an industrial robot and um, that's you know a large robotic arm I think it's okay to have fairly large pump that you can be tethered to you don't need to be too mobile but I think in terms of research applications a very exciting area right now is biomimetic robotics so there's a lot of really cool work being done on robots that imitate biological forms especially animals and I think one of the reasons this is so interesting is that on the one hand roboticists are learning from biology and are making better robotic systems as a result. And on the other hand, I think the robotics research can potentially lead to a better understanding of biological systems. But this is an area, I think, where making things untethered becomes very important because people are trying to have, say, autonomous swimming robots. And there's some really good work being done in Daniela Roos's group at MIT. They have completely untethered fish robots that can swim around um, without being attached to a big rig. So I think that's the area where the untethered systems are really going to come from. And there's going to be some really interesting research done in the next few years. I noticed that they had an example of a combustion system that used gases to generate thrust. Is that just another up-and-coming example of where software robotics can go? Yeah, I think that is an area that I haven't been involved with really at all. The documentation for that came from ETH, which is great. We're delighted to have contributions coming from, from outside. That was our first outside contribution, really. There is some work being done at Harvard in that. And I think yeah, it's really interesting because typically with our with our kind of pneumatic systems, the actuation time is quite slow. And in our applications, we're, we're not really bothered because for a lot of time in our, say, medical applications, speed isn't that important. And um, what's more important is, you know, that you're not doing any damage. But for things like the biomimetic forms, if you want to have a robot that can jump, for example, then you want to be able to do much faster actuation. And that's where combustion becomes really, really interesting. And so, again, I, I think that's where the biomimetic robotics is really pushing the boundaries of soft robotics actuations. So, yeah, I, I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on and see what's going to come out there in the next few years. So should we be looking at the Harvard Lab on their next steps or are there other organisations also moving as rapidly as Harvard? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of groups doing really good stuff around the States. You know, there's almost too many to list, but you know, there's a lot of really great work at MIT, Carnegie Mellon, at Cornell, uh, a lot of interesting wearable stuff going on in Stanford, in ASU. Around Europe, there's, of course, the Robosoft CA um, that are kind of coordinating a lot of the soft robotics research in Europe and further afield. So it's hard to try and list off the groups here because there's just so many. It's really grown in the last few years from 10 years ago. There was a very small handful of, of researchers, mostly in Japan. I should you know, mention there's a lot of really great work going on in Japan as well. But 10 years ago, it was mostly you know, a small number of Japanese research groups. And now suddenly it's, it's, it's very much exploded and it's all over the world. There's so many people doing really, really great stuff. 
I think in terms of our interests, um, so I, I work in the biodesign lab at, at Harvard with Professor Connor Walsh. And in terms of our, you know, immediate interests, I think wearable uh, robotics is, is the area that we're really interested in. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of other groups at Harvard as well who are doing really cool things from the biomimetic systems to different types of medical devices. Well, on behalf of the podcast, thank you, Donalyn, for your time. And we'll be excited to see what happens with the competition. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me. And we're delighted to hear from any of your listeners with any feedback or thoughts on the toolkits. So. Thank you. And that's the end of today's episode. As always, you can visit us at robotspodcast.com to find out more about soft robotics and all our past episodes. The next podcast will air in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Soft Robotics with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.